You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Radio Ramadan Glasgow. So usually this show is traditionally done with uh, couples and we interview couples as well, but my significant other half is missing. Um, so my name is Sidra and today's our ho- our um, interviewees are Shaista and Omar Huck. Is that right? No, come first. <laughs> Four, sorry. I still use my maiden name. Uh, so, do, so, do, so, do, so do I, so do I. Um, so today's topic is um, on autism. So autism is still seen as a very taboo subject in everyday society, but even more so in ethnic minority communities. Um, autis- autistic people and their families face many challenges such as alienation, isolation, family breakdowns and the blame game as well. However, research has shown that families with Black, Asian, and minority ethnic community experiences double the they experience double discrimination, um, double standards due to their ethnicity and um, perceived disability. Families with autistic autistic children need to be supported and encouraged to come out and talk about it and seek the help which they need. So, the couple that I have in front of me, um, will you tell me a little bit about yourselves and why it is we're talking about this topic with you in particular? Well, we've been married for 11 years now and um, we have two children. One is five years old, Isa. He's been diagnosed with autism at the age of three and a half and we also have a daughter who's three years old who has no additional support needs her name's Aisha and we feel that there is a real stigma in our community um, with regards to autism learning disabilities or really any disability and it's a topic that really needs to be started and talked about and brought out into the open of course yeah yeah so tell us a little bit about um, when you realised that something was different about Issa really around about the age of like one one and a half um he had great eye contact okay he was very sort of back and forward in play he wasn't showing the traditional red flags of autism i would always google it and he wasn't ever ticking those boxes right however he wasn't waving he wasn't like if i would tell him to say bye-bye he wouldn't hold his hand up and wave he wouldn't say mum or dad he wouldn't point at things um and you know, I kind of started sort of Googling it in secret and using Dr. Google for advice. <laughs> Chef <I'm>, Google. Yeah, <laughs> so um, I was almost like too scared to mention it to my mum or to my husband. Um, and then when I went into hospital to have my daughter, Aisha, I was in hospital for nearly a week. So that was the longest time me and Issa had ever spent apart. Okay. Um, and when I came home, that's when it was really noticeable. That's when I really sort thought something is not quite right here. So you think by having your second child, you de- it definitely manifested in mm-hmm. Isa more yeah. so? Was was he, was he acting out more or was it just a change, a general change um, in his behaviour? He wasn't acting out. He's always yeah. been, in fact, he's always been a very passive okay. baby. So, so he was always very happy, bubbly. He was very sociable. He was happy to get passed around and he would go to anyone. He would hardly cry. He was a great, a great baby. Um, but what I noticed was there was a lack of language. Okay. Um, and he wasn't saying like the little kind of words like at one one years old and um, one and a half year old kids tend to start. So you'd expect up. to start hearing yeah. them speak a little bit, but maybe maybe through like like you were saying pointing at things yeah. and and that's really what alerted you. Yeah. Okay. However, I must add he was hitting his milestones. So okay. he did learn to crawl, sit up, walk, all these kind of things he was doing. So this is why I was always kind of like. Did that not cause a bit of confusion in you, where you were saying, well, actually? 
he's fine there. Yeah. Um, because I know if that was me, I'd be the same. I'd be a case of, well, he's crawling, he's fine. He's Maybe he's just, like some kids, for example, they say they don't speak till four. Yeah. Um, or they don't speak till they have full sentences. Did those thoughts cross your mind? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was in that boat. I thought... Um, you know, just give him time. My mum used to say, you know, you you know, you were the same. You were a slow talker. You were, you started talking when you were five, six or a, a five, six years old. You know, and I thought, give him time. You know, he's he's still a baby. Um, but yeah, obviously, Shaysta, she had, um, she had, um, she had, she had googled everything. Yeah, she, yeah. She had everything, you know. So, um, I was, I, I was, I was saying her, you know, you know, be patient, you know, and. Uh, you know, you will thrive. You know. And and did you guys obviously like you mentioned that um it's a it's a taboo in our community. Mm-hmm. Did you at that point discuss it with anybody? What was the reaction mm-hmm. of family members or how how did they react to things? I spoke to my mum about it, um and she's a mother of five kids, so obviously she's very experienced. Um so she basically said the same thing that Omar is saying. He she would say that um boys are slower than girls, he's an only child, he's a first child, he doesn't socialise with kids, you need to start taking him to playgroups. And in fact when I started taking him to the playgroup, that's when I realised um that there is some some underlying issue because he would enjoy the playgroup. He wasn't he wasn't really at that point um, distressed with noise or being around other children but what he wouldn't do is play with other children or interact Okay. but bearing in mind he was only one and a half, two years old at that point so he was, so quite, he was very young he was very young so a lot of the times I thought I was just being paranoid I even took him to my GP um, due to the fact that he wasn't picking up birds and the GP also said to me at that point look he's only one and a half years old give him a bit of time mm-hmm. so yeah it was very much like I would google things and then I'd always think oh I'm a being over paranoid but there was something I could see that was different um, Anissa compared to other children that have been around Okay and Dad what about you what were your feelings at this point or had you discussed it with family friends Well I'd not discussed it with anybody. Like I say, there was I felt as though you know um, let him develop, and um, you know, and we'll just take it from there. So I, I had no need to talk to anybody about it. I, I, I just thought he was just a wee baby boy, just doing his thing, and um, and he would develop, you know, um, as and when. Okay, so from there, Mum, you had a little bit of an inclining. Dad is a bit a case of well, we'll see, we'll see. To be fair, I think that is that is majority of parents how how parents would be. Um, how, what was the what were the next steps then? How um, how, how does that then turn into a, a diagnosis? Even Isa had his two year checkup with his health visitor. Okay, and during that checkup, the child is required to carry out a certain amount of tasks like. Um, stacking blocks on top of each other drawing a circle, drawing a line, bearing in mind they're two years old so they don't expect a lot from them but they are expected to follow certain tasks Uh, he went into the room and he was more interested in the health visitors like computer, he wouldn't sit down and I then raised the concerns with the health visitor Okay. at that point I did say to her look I think he might be on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. because at this point I had done a lot of research on yeah. it secretly um, she said to me look that's a long way off she goes I think he might have a bit of a developmental delay okay. but she goes to say he's autistic at this stage she goes that's very far fetched and that was a professional that was saying this yeah. to you at this point Okay. so then um, we basically 
I must say it was my health visitor then who then did a follow-up checkup. So she goes, let's give him another six months, see how he develops, we'll do a follow-up checkup. He went to the follow-up checkup and he was actually worse than the first time round. Right, okay. What when you say worse, what was he was he unable to carry out more tasks than last time or was well, it he, just generally he had no focus at right, all okay. um, so at that point um, he had no focus he was about two years old two and a half two and a half years old then and he wouldn't follow simple instructions okay. um, he wouldn't um, be able to like for example if I said to him go get your shoes we're going to go out he wouldn't be able to follow that um, now looking back in hindsight when my daughter was two years old she could follow these simple tasks see this is really good because I think part of part of us talking about this is actually about educating our listeners so there could be listeners out there that actually relate to behaviors that you're describing Mm -hmm. which is why I'm really interested in in kind of extracting that information to see what what did you see that made you think wait a minute um but obviously when you had the second child you were able to compare milestones which must have helped a lot yeah because Aisha was like pointing mum and dad saying mum and dad saying um certain words but Isa um, was basically it's called Ecolela where the child does repetitive speech Okay. and see again with family they would say oh mashallah he's so bright because at that point he was reciting parts of the Quran pitch perfect and doing it again um, and again and, and parts of the Azan pitch like pitch perfect to the tone of voice Wow. Okay. Um, and like my mum would say oh my god mashallah he's so interested in you know but I could see that that's not actually normal uh-huh. that's, that's not normal behaviour of a two year old child um, and he wasn't even like lifting his foot for example if I'd hold his shoe in front of him to say uh-huh. put your foot in the shoe he wouldn't do simple things like that so that's when really sort of alarm bells started ringing for me um, and then also at that point there was a significant change in that he couldn't handle noise Okay. and um, he couldn't be in noisy places so we couldn't take him to soft play he would completely freak out which limits where you can go socially yeah. as well of course so even in a supermarket we would be in Asda and he would hear like a child crying or screaming from a very far distance but he would act as if the child was right next to him right okay and he would cover his ears quite a lot okay um so at that stage we actually thought maybe there's something wrong with his hearing and uh, his health visitor then sent him for hearing tests which he actually marshall pla- fla- um, passed with flying colors they said his hearing was actually you know more than perfect so you were kind of eliminating as yeah. you went along because I suppose at this point you you don't know what it is and yeah. you're trying to you're you're on that journey to try and find out how I mean I imagine all of this had a huge impact on your work and your lifestyle as well so how how did it impact you what were the challenges you faced when it came to those areas of your life or even with family or with friends what challenges did you face like the tough days are yeah um, well I'll be quite honest with you I don't think we faced many challenges with Issa because we have got a mashallah very supportive family yep. on my side and my in-law's side when um, Aisha my daughter was born really my mum and sister took over her care because I'd obviously opened up to my mum and say look I think he has got a developmental delay um, and he's been referred to a paediatrician and things like that so my mum and sister really took the focus of caring for Aisha they, they were her full time okay parents basically. So your, fam- your family came in to support yeah. you in that way so you were able to concentrate so we were, on what you needed to do? Yeah, we, we were able to concentrate on Isa so we didn't actually face many challenges that I okay. suppose we're very lucky that way that we had people. And, and one thing you were mentioning to me before we came on was that you guys have always been quite a strong team mm-hmm. and I imagine that that's, that's probably the crux of it is having the support of each other as well. Yeah um, I mean looking back and looking back now yeah I was in denial but I, I fully accepted what Shaisa was saying. 
But I think it takes I think it takes a big person to to be able to go yeah. back and say that as yeah. well to say oh, you know what hands up I, I didn't want to believe it. Yeah, to- no, totally. I mean, I was um, I, I met a friend of a friend one time. He was giving me a lift, and I, um, I was speaking to to him about Isa, and he started laughing. And he goes, "You know what? You, you know what the problem is?" I go, he goes, "You're the problem. Isa's not the problem. You're the problem, um, and you need you need to you know look." Um, you need to, you know, look at life in his point of view, and you know, and instead of you trying to, you know, um, get uh, him to come to us, basically. Uh, yeah. yeah. I remember when Omar came home that day, and he was telling me about this conversation, and that was a real turning point. This friend that he's talking about has a disabled child. Okay. So, so maybe they were able to kind of empathise with you in a way that yeah. somebody else maybe wasn't able yeah. to. Yeah. Um, and he Omar said to me. You know, from a very early stages, we realised that with Isa, um, we have to basically change our way of living, our yeah. way of life. The way we conduct daily life has to change to accommodate him mm-hmm. and then meet him halfway so we can then bring him into our life and have some sort of compromise. That's the way it works. There's no point fighting against it. So all about nurture, really. And you, I think from both of you, what I'm getting is that you have, have had a very accepting attitude post-diagnosis. You yeah, have totally. both been a case of, right, yeah. how yeah. do we get this right for mm-hmm. Isa? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your focus has been Isa, not not family not society no, no. not not any cultural issues more just getting it right for that child yeah and i actually think that's something that sometimes we struggle with because we get caught up with our our culture yeah um and and it's amazing to 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 speak to people who yeah. actually have focused on just a child um and it must be so rewarding you must see so many beautiful moments with isa as oh, well yeah. totally it's things that are like um a grain of rice to another parent like you know obviously I can always compare him to Aisha everything course, she does yeah. she just does it it's like not a major issue but when Isa does it it's like a major milestone yeah so asking for um where's my lunch or I'm hungry or putting his you know lifting his foot up to put his shoes on or if I say to him look we're going to go to the park or I'm going to take you to this club or we're going to go and groom, like, go and groom his ponies that he goes and does um, and, he, and he quickly runs and gets his welly boots and things like that and seeing those changes seeing that progress yeah it's like major milestones even even something simple as the other night um, he started brushing his own teeth um, he started brushing his own teeth um, and that was like I had to call Omar was standing in the garden and I had to call him in and say Omar you have to quickly come and look Issa's brushing his own teeth without causing a fuss and we were like watching him from like behind a closed door almost to see what he was doing and so that and that's what makes it worth it I suppose seeing that progress yeah for both of you yeah. um it has so one thing that you touched on was the ponies I don't know if that's something like a support that was available to you that was one of my questions mm-hmm. was what kind of support is there available to you like how helpful were services from the NHS or mm-hmm. other supporting services the nhs were unhelpful okay. um, but to understand resources are stretched and i know they're strapped for cash i mean i must add when isa got his diagnosis my mom also um was is, had my mom had cancer she's passed away now but she'd also been told she had to start chemo okay so see that comparison was very black and white for me on one hand i've got my mom who's fighting for her life and she's using the nhs services to save her life yes and you know and then I've got a child who's been diagnosed with, um, you know, this condition, which mm-hmm. is just really a different way of thinking. And that's, that's exactly it. it's yeah. a condition. And we were handed a pamphlet. Yeah. Mm. So what 
on the day that he got diagnosed, um, the paediatrician, you know, done the testing and all that kind of stuff, and then she just handed me a leaflet. So was there no aftercare, no, like, this course you can go on, no, or nothing at nothing all? Nothing at all. Um, so I had to then, um, basically, I then threw myself into anything autism. Okay. So I was, like, contacting experts from America, Denmark, Australia, and down what, in England. And what, sort, what sorts of questions were you asking um, when, you were, when you were phoning them? I was asking them questions, like, some of them were, like, special. Um, nutritionist because there's research out there that suggests that our diet and gluten is affects our um, brain development. Okay. And if you change your child's diet, it can actually um, then reverse some of the symptoms, if you like, of autism. Actually, do you know, it's, it's really bizarre that you say that because one of my mum's friends mentioned diet and um, helping with other kind of disorders mm-hmm. and I being a scientist I was like oh away you go like and there's going to be some there's going to be some sort of element to it but yeah. hearing you say that just validates that yeah there's research out there that suggests that um our gut controls our mind basically okay and um and if if we fix that problem it can sometimes alleviate some of the symptoms of autism um I also researched into CBD oil um what that, sorry what's just for the listeners what is CBD oil um CBD oil is like uh, oil derived from cannabis um, okay. Isa at that time was suffering from seizures as well undiagnosed seizures and okay. a few times that he had the seizures were quite life threatening at yep. one point one time he had a seizure he was in the bath um, and I had to pull him out of the bath water right. um, and he was hospitalised for that and it was like undiagnosed seizures which were testing him for epilepsy so there was a lot of um, information out there so I had to go elsewhere than the NHS and I had to do my own research and put things in place for him so every single therapy that we've given ESA or put in place for ESA has all been privately funded by us Okay and what what kind of therapy you're saying different therapies Um, what kind of therapies uh, occupational therapy which I know you can get occupational therapy on the NHS but the occupational therapist that we went to see um, she's based in Perth Okay and she has an autistic child herself. Right. So, number one, that's a major of bonus. Of course, yeah. But the type of therapy she was doing with him was floor time therapy. She was spending time with him on the floor. I've heard of this, um, yep. She would get, like, bins full of, like, cooked pasta. One week it'd be dry pasta. She would put toys in. It was all to, like, desensitise him to things. Yep. Like, taste and get, textures. Get him used to it, I suppose. Get him used to brushing his teeth mm-hmm. and getting him to focus, giving her eye contact, building up his eye contact and things like that. Um, he's had music therapy. Okay. Um, he's had occupational therapists that have come into our house. He's had drama therapy. He goes to pony therapy every Monday, which is like in, in stables that uh, little Shetland ponies that he grooms. Okay. And again, it's um, for the focus and attention. And they're very therapeutic, and he, and he loves doing that. He's had, um, oh God, he's had so many things. He's had speech and language therapy, like privately funded by us. Mm-hmm. The NHS, they do, they do put things in place, but what happens is with them, they pick it up for a number of weeks and then okay. they'll drop the case and then you need to chase it up. Um, so it's like a const- constant... Yeah, the appointments are then... F- they're not consistent. Okay. Um, with, a spe- I think, a child with autism, they need to have consistently... It has to be the same therapist in an in a environment that they're comfortable in. They have to be given time. It it takes them it takes them time to attach to a person, and yeah. once they're attached, they don't want to be detached from that person as well. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, the NHS support yeah it was very lacking. Okay. Um, but like I said, I I couldn't really 
dwell on that because my mum at the same time was using NHS resources for life-saving treatments so yeah, course, I'm yeah. grateful for the NHS and I know that they are very um, cash-strapped and resources are so scarce but um, there is a lot of help out there there's a lot of charities that you can access and that's one thing that I did was basically anything with the word autism attached I've I've two keys or two and some things he likes and some things don't work for him but until you go you until we go we don't know like yeah. um, he goes to for example um, specialist like adventure playground set up for additional support needs kids one of them's in Edinburgh okay. and we take him there once a week I mean mum this sound, this literally sounds like a full time job which is, is yeah. which is literally <laughs> dedication to, the, to making sure you've got the best for Isa so do you do like all the driving around or we both do it we take it as um, this is one thing I think I need to stress is because me and Omar um, are both on the same page Mm -hmm. it's a commitment yeah. So we will actually, you know, this is our commitment that we put into Isa, and we see, we have seen firsthand the rewards of putting this time and effort into him. Experts who have seen him months ago, a year ago, have now picked up some of his, like his health visitor, for example. She came to her house um, the other day, and she couldn't believe the change in him. And that must be so rewarding for you because you've taken all that time out to make sure he's getting all of all of that help as well. There's times that we will, um, you know, give up. Like for example, we go to his um, grandparents on a on a Saturday or Uh a Sunday, but we know that Isa would need some sort of outlet beforehand. Okay. So we would then, if he's got like an organised activity or even like um, Lynn Park Adventure Playground. Again, it's set up for ASN kids. It's all secure. It's all gated. So okay. we will take him there for a couple of hours before he actually goes to his grand ha- grand's house, so that he can then, um, when he goes in, he's not highly strong. He's not being disruptive. And then by that time, he's got everything sort of out of his system, and then he can sit nicely or he can behave. See, so that's really interesting. You really know Issa's quirks as well, so you know that in order for that pa- that visit at grandparents to go well yeah. he needs to have that kind of playtime beforehand as well so it's important for you to, to understand the ch- the child and what the child's needs needs are now we are live in conversation with um shaista and omar and we are having a conversation about children with autism and um, just for our listeners that have tuned in now both um you have a child who is now five years old, yeah. Isa, um, who we're talking about. And so far in the journey, we have got to the point where Isa has been diagnosed. Um, we've spoken about challenges that you may have faced. We've also spoken about the role the NHS played and the kind of private sector in that area. Now I want to press you a little bit about education because um, that is a key element of a child's life. In fact, before our children are born, a lot of us will move councils yeah. because of education so um, how has that affected your journey or what has your journey been for the two of you? At the age of three Isa um, got a placement in our catchment area primary, the nursery that was attached to the primary school Okay. so at that point um, Isa wasn't diagnosed with autism at that point okay. and what happened is he was in nursery I would say for about seven days and the head teacher called me in and she said to me do you think there might be an issue with your son and I said um, yes, because at that point I was actively pursuing a diagnosis. Okay. She recognised it because, number one, she was experienced with children with yep. additional needs and she, her own child had additional needs. Okay, wow. So, so she, yeah. She was really able to pick up on it. So she recognised the signs because he said I couldn't cope with the noise in the classroom. There was nearly like 30 kids in his nursery class and he couldn't cope with the noise and they had to keep removing him from the class. Um, 
Isa then was struggling with nursery and he wasn't given his full time hours. Okay. So he was on reduced hours. So for the best part of a year, he was basically going in for like half an hour. What was the reason for the reduced hours? Because the nursery didn't have the provision. They didn't have the staff to give him one to one support. Right. Okay. Um, he was excluded from classroom activities. He was excluded from trips. That must have been quite hard to see the isolation oh, for Isa. Yeah, it was. It was very hard. And the real turning point for me was. Um, when Isa started suddenly getting an obsession with like rubbish and empty cereal boxes and things and I just thought what is he doing uh-huh. um, why is he wanting to take everything out the bin and when I was walking to school with him one morning I noticed all the little kids in his class were taking in empty cereal boxes Okay. so I asked one of the mums I said what's going on and she went oh they're doing a project on recycling and Isa hadn't been included I- in Isa that Isa hadn't been included at this point Isa was non-verbal Okay. So he was three, three years old and he was non-verbal and no teacher from that um, nursery had thought, you know, why don't we tell um, Isa's mum this is what we're doing so he can be included. Because, of he, course, uh, speaking is not the only form of communication. No, no definitely not. Um, so when I went into the nursery, I asked the teacher and she went, oh, yeah, we're doing a project on recycling and Isa loves it. He loves separating the rubbish and putting them into the different bins. Okay. That was a real turning point for me and I thought, okay, this is not the right place for him. Uh-huh. Um, I'm very lucky that my sister-in-law is a primary teacher. Okay. So the whole time throughout his sort of education journey, I was consulting her and she put me in touch with colleagues and even her head teacher. And they told me that there should be a care plan in place for him, a getting it right for me. Okay. Um, yep. I don't know if that's the same yep. for every Gar- Garfic, yeah. yep, getting yeah, it right it. for every child. And it should be reviewed um, after a certain period and they should have certain provisions for him. So, so she was really able to give you some yeah, inside knowledge which definitely. helped you? Yeah, um, the reduced hours. I mean, it was completely impractical. I had another child as well. I used to have to take him to the nursery, sit in the car for ten minutes, twenty minutes, go back in, pick him up, take him home, and it was just, it was just, it wasn't working. I was getting completely stressed out by it. And and, and also, a child going to nursery is meant to be for their development. But if it's reduced hours, then as a parent, you're worrying. Well, why are they not getting the full time that everybody else is getting yeah. as well? And at that time, the NHS speech and language therapist was going into the nursery to work with him. And she had said to me in one of our meetings that the nursery, mainstream nursery is not the place for him. So I was noticing things. Then this expert was saying to me that this is not the place for him. I then asked for a meeting with the school okay. and an educational psychologist to be involved. And it was stressed to me that mainstream would be the place for Isa and they would adapt. That's right, because in education right now, as we were saying, there's a general view of inclusion at the yeah. moment. Okay. So I was basically, it was stressed to me what would happen is the school would apply for a support assistant. Uh-huh. Um, because we were coming up to the summer holiday break, they would apply for a support assistant and Isa would be better in mainstream education and there wasn't any specialist provision for him. Okay. Um, what happened is I then went to go see my local MP to explain the situation I also contacted um, the government helpline called Inquire okay. and you can contact them and what they do is they give you information and was did, when you contacted all these bodies was this just yourself like you you researched it and you thought well these are the right people for me to contact um, no what happened is his occupational therapist that we took him to see in Perth mm-hmm. I'd actually spoke to her about the issues in nursery and she said to me, she goes, contact inquire. She goes, this is not right. She goes, you need to get this sorted out. The Scottish government have set out that a child above a certain age mm-hmm. is entitled to a certain amount of hours of education. It starts from age three. He wasn't getting that. So legally they had to give yeah. you those hours. See, you're, you're coming, you, you 
you have like a wealth of knowledge from I suppose the, the experiences and the research that you've mm-hmm. done as well but if I, if, I, if I pause you there what were the feelings at this point when you were coming against kind of these barriers and also unnecessary barriers in a way um, what were the feelings of for both of you when you were coming across these? Oh, I was I was very frustrated. Mm-hmm. I was stressed out. It wasn't. I mean, when you have a baby, I think every mum can relate to this. You kind of pre-plan their life in terms of you think they'll hit three years old, they'll go to nursery. Yep. I'll have some free time. I might return back to work or whatever. You almost already wished their life away. You yeah. already decided he's going to be a doctor. He's going <laughs> to yeah, be a totally. lawyer. But then that wasn't happening. I mean, it was like I said, I had a baby as well that I had to then take into nursery to pick him up ten minutes after he'd gone in. Um, and the school weren't really forthcoming with being giving me any sort of information. You of know, course. I always felt as though I was, I was a bit of a nuisance. Okay. It came to the point where Issa then started lashing out. He would okay. bite. He would hit. He was then getting excluded from the classroom and taken into a, a the staff tea room. Um, and one of my major issues was when I was going into nursery, they were getting me to dis- sign disclaimer slips to say that as a parent, I've been notified. Issa's done this. Issa's done that. So, so I kind, of, them. kind of shifting blame. It sounds yeah. a lot like shifting blame, doesn't yeah. it? I signed them for a few months, and then I got to the point where I said to the head teacher, "I'm not signing them anymore." And she said, "Why not?" And I said, "Because when I drop Issa off, bearing in mind at this point he was up to I think an hour in the class, he's in your care. Mm-hmm. He doesn't show these behaviours at home. Clearly, there's a trigger in the classroom that's causing him to be distressed, and he's acting out. He's got no no verbal language at this point, so he's acting out through bad behaviour. And when I drop him off at nursery, he's in your care. I cannot be responsible for his actions when I'm not in the room. Well, I'm not even in the building. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it was very stressful because at that point I had a lot of anxiety. I wasn't able to leave our local area. I would constantly make sure that my phone was charged. I had a signal because I was getting called into the school every single day. I suppose your life is almost on hold, isn't it? Yeah, it was on hold, majorly on hold. Um, we then basically um, at this point um, so I'd got my MP involved I'd got the legal advice from Inquire and um, I then pushed it further and we then got a multi-agency meeting involved so any parent with additional needs uh, children would know all these terminology multi-agency meeting just means that the school head the nursery key worker the head of the nursery an educational psychologist um, and somebody from the council yeah sorry I must add um, the council liaison officer every council will have um, someone who is the advocate for um, additional support needs kids so I contacted her as well um, so when I pushed it further, within 24 hours we had um, a meeting involved, a meeting with these people and myself. At that point, they assured me again that ESA would be kept in mainstream education and that they would adapt the surroundings and the environment accordingly for ESA. So time went on, and again he was being excluded day okay. after day. He was sitting in the staff room with a member of staff. Um, at this point, ESA, like I said previously, was taking seizures. Um, one day I went to go pick him up and he was lying on the floor and could clearly tell he'd had a seizure uh-huh. because I knew the signs of the aftermath of a seizure and the support assistant had said oh I think he's fallen asleep playing with the cars but I could tell by his body any mum who's got a child with epilepsy or a child who has seizures knows the aftermath of a seizure the breathing changes their whole the body becomes yeah, like there's jelly, muscle, I muscle, muscle twitches and things yeah. as well uh-huh. Um, I then contacted the head of, head of education and I said to the secretary, if you do not put me through to the head of education, within two minutes of this phone call, my next phone call is going to be to the daily record. Wow, okay. Um, Wait, I'm going to pause you. I'm going to pause you on that cliffhanger. So, Dad, 
what I'm getting from mum is literally like a lioness over her cub, no less than that. Um, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, being a, being a professional sitting across from you, I would be terrified. I, I would I would be I would be feeling as if I'm being held accountable for why we're making the decisions. How did you feel at this point, seeing kind of? Well, I was. I, what can I say? I mean, she said she had done she had done so much research that you know. I didn't really need to do anything. I was just there to kind of, you know... Back her up. Back her up, basically, you know, and um, whatever she was doing was, was 100% of my... I mean, there was, uh, I, I, there was nothing that I could disagree about, you know. I, 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 felt, I, I felt the same as well. I felt angry that he was only getting 15 minutes, he was only getting 20 minutes, he was getting excluded from the gym gym hall and, you know, like the recycling as well. Um, why was he not told about the project? Why, why, why was it? Why, why, why were we not told about the project? Yeah. You know, and then um, his school trips and everything as well. You know. Um. Oh yeah, I must add, he had a school trip to Deep Sea World, and they said to us, if you want to take a sub, bearing in mind that this point had kicked up fuss, so mm-hmm. they were a bit more kind of accommodating. They said if you want to take a to the school trip, one of you is only to accompany him. Um, we said okay, that's fine. They said our insurance policy doesn't cover for the classroom assistant to go with Isa so um, out with the school building so one of you will have to accompany him so Omar said okay I'll take him I'll take him in my own car because he might not cope with the bus I think that was an eye opener for Omar of how um, inadequate the school support was because when he came back he told me exactly the way he goes me and Issa were just left to it he goes, so this is the first time that dad you've been massively like there and you've seen it first hand yeah I yeah. mean with the nursery yeah first hand I've seen it when we were at Deep Sea, when we were at Deep sea World I mean I got no help from anybody okay you know and he was he was running the he was running riot <laughs> I mean, almost an insight to what his day what, what his 15 yeah. or half an hour must be like when yeah. he's there on his own exactly yeah. and the the teachers was just looking at us, you know, just running back and forth, back and forth. I mean, we had great fun, but I needed a wee bit of support, and I never got anything. That's when I realised that hold on a minute, this is this place is not for him. Yeah, and and you're yeah. a parent who deals with them day in day out as DND well. So out, yeah. yeah, and I must say as well, the school, the support assistant, the council had set sent out for Lisa was like. Um, with all due respect, she's lovely and they had a great relationship, but she was 18 years old. She had no experience in childcare. She never even changed a nappy before. Isa, at this point, was coming up for four years old and he wasn't potty trained. Um, and she was struggling. There was times that I would pick him up and she would literally have tears in her eyes because she was not given the adequate support from the teaching staff in the nursery to put um, any sort of structure into Isa's time at the nursery. Um at this point, I was in regular contact with inquiring about the legal advice. Um, I must add, my own brother, he's a lawyer as well, so he was giving me his input in, in what to do legally with the school and how to word it. Um, and sorry, I was going to say that when I contacted the head of education and I threatened the, going to the media, within 24 hours, another multi-agency meeting was called. So there was action? Yeah, and we were then offered a specialist placement. When wow. I was told previously there was no placement available for him, all the places were full. We were coming to the end of the academic year and I was told all places were full. There was no placement for him. And then the council said to me, look, a place has came up um, at a nursery in another town, not far from where we stay. Would you be interested to go and view this nursery? And we said, yes, we would. So it just goes to show that if you fight for your child, I mean, I'm his mother first and foremost. I'm his carer. And I'm also his advocate. I'm his mouthpiece. 
he's he's non-verbal he's verbal now but at that time he was non-verbal he couldn't say to me mum the reason I bit this child is because this child pushed me or took a toy off me mum the reason why I hit my support classroom assistant is because she never understood what I wanted he's going to act out in his behaviour and that behaviour was like aggressive behaviour and like I said Isa wasn't like that at home um, so it's different if Issa was like that at home and then I would say yeah he displays this at home as well but he wasn't this is why I knew something wasn't right and this is why I pushed it and again there was some sort of unspoken like undertone in the nursery as well where when I would pick him up the girl who was looking after him she looked completely defeated every mm-hmm. single day she literally had tears in her eyes because there was no structure or care plan that you're a teacher you would know yep. put in place there was experienced members of staff in that nursery there was a lady in the nursery who was doing a master's in autism, right? And I and I, it completely baffled me that no one stepped in and said, look, this is how you should care for this. Or, or let's try different strategies let's or different have a strategy. meeting with mum and dad and see yeah. what works at home. Yeah, even completely, yeah. Okay, just uh, for, for a quick update for our listeners, um, we have uh, sister Shaista and brother Omar uh, who have kindly joined us here today uh, in the studio to talk about uh, raising children with autism. Uh, about t- raising uh, raising children with autism, alhamdulillah, um, very very insight- insightful discussion. Sorry, I've joined the discussion late. Uh, I was on the way and I was listening very very intently. You're not forgiven. <laughs> that's my, uh, that's me in the bad books. But um, no, just sticking on topic. Um, can I just ask where where are things at the moment currently? How, how is Isa getting on? How, how is he? From Amazing. Right. Yeah, Alhamdulillah, he's thriving. He's just going from strength to strength. Right. Um, and this is all down to, I know I'm blowing my own trumpet, but it's um, down to our sheer hard, hard work, commitment and determination. We never give up for him. Yep. We always fight his corner. We always take him to everything we can find, like I said, that's suitable for children like him. And we try to push him out of his boundaries and out of his comfort zone on a daily basis. To any of the listeners listening out there, what would you guys say has been one of the biggest or probably the best support factors that you've had? I mean, what would be how, what have been one of the key decisions that you would say you've made, um, which has made a difference to him in respect of maybe it might be schooling, it might be support work, it might be whatever it I may be. It's being open and honest with each other, being on the same page. Um, you mean as a couple? As a couple, because right. um, we we never ever have any like qualms or issues with or we disagreements with each other. We're constantly on the same page. We're like a brick wall. Do you okay. know what I mean? It's like we will leave um, social functions or not attend at all, or one of us attend to accommodate our child. We won't ever compromise his comfort. Which which we don't imagine would be easy. Which must in itself come with its own challenges yeah. for example maybe extended family maybe yeah. your own family maybe your family yeah. as a as a husband or maybe your family as a wife yeah. my sister-in-law got married in in um january mm-hmm. and december, december. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> january. Yeah. um and yeah he wasn't there he wasn't he wasn't he didn't attend my mom's janaza yeah. my mom passed away in november mm-hmm. and i had you know, conversations with family where they said, Isa seen my mum on her final day, um, the, the day before she passed away, they had a conversation. He came from nursery, spent the afternoon with her. And I had a conversation with family where they said, look, you should bring him to the janaza. You mm-hmm. should at least show, let him see, um, you know, your mum. But 
I knew that at that point, I knew that first of all, I wouldn't be comfortable because I didn't know if he could fully fathom what was going what on. Was going on and right. also he would be looking at me and his dad thinking, why are they so emotional? Why are they so upset? Mm. And I knew I wasn't in my full capability to look after him. And it's all about routine, isn't it? It's yeah. that yeah. breaking routine, which then will, will throw Issa yeah. as well, which is what you don't want to and do. And because he was non-verbal, we didn't know how much of an attachment he had with Yeah, Nanny, of course, because he wasn't communicating and, uh, that with you. He wasn't communicating, but you could see it off the children that they were, uh, uh, it did make a wee bit of an effect, you know, um, to them, you know, especially my daughter. I mean, every time we spoke about her, she would completely blank us. Yeah, yeah so we didn't, you know, didn't know. Say, so, like, for example, when we said, like, my sister's wedding, you know, we are very lucky that our family um, support us, my in-laws and my own family that they don't like Omar's sister is getting married in July and one of the first things we said to her is that you need to book a venue that's suitable for Isa and and you know that's amazing because actually to do that it takes a lot of courage it's very easy to say I prioritise my child but actually to do it as a couple and be strong in doing that it's a a huge thing I think even before that and you, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but you have to acknowledge that as a couple and as parents there are going to have to be sacrifices that you will have yeah. to make as a family, right? Yeah. So for anyone listening out there who may feel as though they have a child that suffers from autism, who may not currently have a child who's diagnosed with autism but feels that there is some issues there, A, who may be in the process of having that diagnosis done, I suppose, I mean, what, rather than me saying it, what 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 uh, advice would you have to any couples out there or any families out there I mean, that that seems to be some big sacrifices that need to you be made. To, Especially having been through it all, what yeah. what can you tell them now? You have to fully embrace it with open arms. Yeah. You have to accept the situation what it is. You have to call a spade a spade. Yeah. There's no there's no ifs or buts about it. Mm. Basically, you can see the situation two ways: the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. We see it as the glass is half full. Isa is a complete blessing from God. Yeah. He's changed our life for the better. He's teaching us. We're not teaching him. Yeah, He's taught us that materialism um, sort of small problems and things that in the past that we might think as problems, they're not problems mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, see seeing things through his eyes it's magical it, It's magical because he's got a completely different viewpoint of seeing things for example, he's got a fascination with water and waterfalls and water flow systems and it was Omar that said to me, he goes, see if you actually take a step back and you know, when would I ever do this in life if I never had a child with Isa? Yeah. And sit and watch a waterfall for really what it is. It's such a beautiful thing. Mm. The way the water flows, it speeds up, it slows down, there's the bubbles. Noises it makes. The noises it makes. It's just, you, even things, simple things like, um, like for example, Omar laid decking down in our back garden. We had a few pieces left over and Isa's formed like some sort of attachment with a piece of decking. So <laughs> he's constantly wanting to bring it in the house. So we let him bring it in the house. Like a cuddly toy. Yeah. yeah. And he sits and hugs it and he sits and does things. And I always put it away and then he's always asking for his stick. And I'm like, Isa, it's not a stick, it's a bit of decking. Um, but then one day I watched him and I thought, do you know what? Wow, he has got a method to his madness because the decking's got grooves in it. Okay, and he likes running his finger along oh, to feel the pattern. Feeling he and likes then he would it. take his trains, like his Thomas trains, and start making a track. So he has got a method to his madness. In, in his anything, in his world, he's thinking, "Mum, you're 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 mad. Why do you not yeah. understand me?" If anything, they may be operating at a higher level than the rest of oh, us. Yes. Oh yeah, completely, completely. Mm-hmm. We see that Anissa all the time. Like, um, he has got some. He's five years old, right? So he's just starting to pick up verbal language. Um, he can't do basic things like um, 
go to the bathroom and tell me that he wants to do that, get dressed himself. But yet he knows um, how to change VPN codes and APN codes in my phone. Wow, that's something um, we He's able do. to Google things, he's able to YouTube things, he's able to download apps, yeah. um, he's able to read um, he's able to go into my phone and change settings and you know he, he knows so much about technology for a five year old so he's developing a bit of a special interest yeah. in technology yeah, then definitely. yeah definitely on that point do you have any type of long term or short term goals for him that you that you hope to maybe focus on is there anything that you're particular is there any particular direction that you've got him going in just just for advice for as long as he's happy and him. content right. in life yeah. mm. that's, that's, that's all that matters yeah yeah. That's all that matters. Long term goal, I would say, is we would love for there to be um, some sort of provision in our community, mm-hmm. especially in Islamic capacity. Okay. Isa's got a real passion for um, listening to the Quran and listening to mm. recitations of the Quran. He just loves that from, from day dot. He's loved that. Um, we've always played it for him and he can recite parts of it pitch perfect. Oh, wow. Um, but you were saying literally tone perfect. Yeah, you tone will- perfect. Oh, wow. Um, and we would love for there to be some sort of provision within mosques for inclusion of not only autism but all disabilities, Down syndrome, yeah. every single you know disability, for it to be like really an open door policy. Mm-hmm. Because parents like myself, we feel excluded from our community. This is a sad thing: is we're accepted in other communities, and we've embraced those communities. But the challenges we face as in your own community, Asian, Muslim, Scottish Muslims are different to my white Scottish counterparts. Of course, yeah. Cult- if all I was to ask you just on that note, if I was to ask you um, for any listeners listening out there, whether it may be someone that sits on a mosque committee, whether it may be somebody that's part of some type of um, sports organisation out there, it could be. I mean, we have a wide range of listeners who are listening at the moment, and you may have a number of people that may be sitting saying, "Well, actually, within the own within our own community, within our own." Muslim community, um, how do we help children with autism? I mean, is there anything in particular that you would say? Do you know what? See this this type of facility is mm-hmm. just not existent, and we need to really we yes, need to have that type yes. of thing. I mean, is there anything? I, I can I fully appreciate that there. I mean, there's there's lots to that question, but I mean, is there anything in particular that you, as a parent from your experience, might would want? Where to Where would you start from? I would start could? with, for example, the mosque. Simple. Educate, educate, educate. I went to a workshop in Lanarkshire Mosque last week regarding autism. Wow. And I'm very, very grateful that Lanarkshire Mosque have started the conversation. However, Mm. from the workshop, it's very apparent the lack of knowledge the people running the workshop had. Even the terminology they were using was completely wrong. They put the onus on me as a parent and they said to me, just bring them in. How can I bring them in? It's up to you as a mosque committee, as the imam of the mosque. I mean, they give khutbahs on everything that does not affect our daily lives. Mm -hmm. For example, yes, we've got people in foreign lands that are dying. We we know that. But things that affect our daily lives, educate the people that are coming into the mosque that people are different. They may be accessing these facilities. So tolerance is important. Okay, tolerance and maybe even professionals who have experience within yeah. autism to be within the masjid. Yeah. Yes. Whether that's yeah. one person, you know, that travels, that goes around several masjids to. Yeah, you know, totally. To or even an open forum for like yeah. parents, for example, who are Muslim yeah. with an ethnic background to come and yeah. discuss. Because you're right, we are we are bound to have more in common in terms of cultural um, challenges as well. Yeah. So that but that support group is very important. Ultimately, I would love for there to be an ASN provision with regards to like an Eid prayer for mm. Juma facilities for us to allow our children to 
you know, learn about Dean, learn mm-hmm. about Islam, learn about Islamic etiquette. How can I teach Isa the etiquette of the mosque when he's unable to access the building? Mm-hmm. And if they say to me, yes, just bring him, it's not that easy. He needs to, first of all, explore his surroundings. So as an onlooker, they might be thinking, well, what is he doing? Why, why is, is he touching he looking, that plug? Why, why is, is he, he looking, looking at the fire extinguisher? Why is he running around while his dad's feeding drummer? Why is he spinning? Why is he making random noises? Mm-hmm. Because when he's excited, he will do that. But... You know, I can't then teach him if we're un- if we're not comfortable going into that yeah. environment, and it's not doesn't lie on me to make that environment comfortable. Yeah. It lies on them to it's, make it. Comfortable. It sounds a lot like what you're asking for is acceptance. Yeah, yeah. totally acceptance um, and just understanding. I think our community is very judgmental mm-hmm. when it comes to even, and I'm going to say this, and it might be a bit controversial, but mosques are not child friendly places. <laughs> so, well, it's funny you say that because we were having the discussion. Um, the other day but yeah certainly children with autism certainly there needs to be an open door policy within not only mosques you know just in general within the community we're really coming to the end of the program and and really i want yourselves both we'll take this in turn mum you've got a lot more to say than dad so we're going to let dad have a have have some words Uh, just just very quickly if you were to give one piece of advice to any family out there listening that has any ch- has children with autism what would your one piece of advice be i say to my wife all the time see as soon as we leave the house see if you think of the worst thing is going to happen right if that is the mentality that you have for walking out the house it can only get better yeah yeah it's just that okay, optimistic excellent. outlook so really optimistic well, if, if you think of the worst thing that's going to happen or you know expecting the worst that is going to happen if you're going to go to a birthday party or whatever it can only get better okay i'm excellent and yourself budge embrace it fully it's a gift it's a beautiful blessing a beautiful gift that we've been given and if you fully embrace it then you will only see the positives in it okay and that's us really coming to an end but can I just say before we go and before my wife shoots me um, really hats off to you both Alhamdulillah yes. you guys seem like you're it's a, actually inspirational you know, it's to inspirational have had, to had listen done to this you, um, and you guys really come across as though you're doing a great job so Alhamdulillah keep up yeah. the great work so you have been in conversation with Sindra and Omar with Shaista and Omar Pai